fertile soil, um, Lord, fertile soil for your word to find uh, to find place to root um, and grow. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> I'm going to lower my stand here. I actually lowered the other one beforehand, and I switched. So um, I have, I got a funny look from Jenna, because um, I came walking upstairs with a rope. Um, I've had this rope hanging on an office wall um, in just about every office I've been in for for years, and it's it's there as a reminder. Um, when I uh, when I worked at the children's home, we had a high ropes course, right? Like I think John builds them for fun, um, and and ours was in the woods, and it was it was these these poles, and they're 30, 40 feet off the ground, and you know wires and everything else. And I I went through three or four trainings, um, like week long trainings to to um, properly run high ropes groups, and and um, that that really actually. If you want to talk about faith, there's a pretty big step there when you trust me to hold the rope while you're 40 feet in the air. Like, think about that for a moment. Um, um, as a part of uh, several of the trainings, actually, we did it several times, there was a, uh, a rescue training, which I'm sure John did. Um, and and um, I remember I, I had to do both sides of this. Um, at one point, I was, I was hung up, and I remember I was 30, about 30 feet up. I mean, I'm way up in the air. And somebody came up, and they crossed out on the line, and they dropped down, and they tied a rope to me. Like, there was this whole way to do it. And the ropes for rescue are like shoelaces. Um, they got steel in them, and they, they'll, you can tow a car with them, but they're tiny, right? <laughs> and it's, it's really, you know, it sounds impressive when you're on the ground. You're like, oh, steel is in that. That's, you know, test for 10,000 pounds? That's amazing. You know, but when you're up there and you're watching them tie this line to you, and you're thinking, that shoelace, that's it. <laughs> and, and you're looking down, and you're looking at the shoelace, and you're looking at the other guy, and you're thinking, how big of a goof are you? Like, am I in trouble? Um, and, and, you know, he's tying off the line, and then there's this moment where he takes out the knife, and he cuts your, cuts your rope, um, and you fall. And there's no one way or the other about it. There's no way to not fall. You fall about... Eight inches is, I think, about how far I figured out that I fell. Like eight inches of, you know, my rope is cut and I'm dropping. And gravity is a harsh mistress, let me tell you. Um, I, I am an uncoordinated individual. I do a lot of falling. And so, like, I'm very familiar with the feeling of falling. And I, I can still, if I close my eyes, I can recreate it in my mind, that experience of dropping. Um, and it's funny because I can't remember who cut the rope. Um, but I remember falling. And I remember that jar as I hit at the bottom of the eight inches and, and then being lowered to the ground. And I, I, I'll tell you, um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of introspection that I experienced in those moments of, you know, well, do I believe this is going to work? You know, do I really believe this is going to hold me? Do I really believe that knot isn't going to give way? Because really it's not the rope breaking in the end, it's the knot holding, right? Like what really gets you is when that knot doesn't hold and you, you know... <laughs> fall um and so i've i've kept this rope um that was cut this was attached to me and it was cut um and i've kept it on my wall for a handful of reasons um the biggest one um is because there are moments in life um where we get stuck right have any of y'all ever been stuck um there are lots of ways we get stuck we can get stuck in grief um, where like something rotten happens to us or near us and we just can't quite move beyond it. 
or like the people around us become broken and we can't quite manage ourselves next to them anymore and we just get stuck in like the orbit of their brokenness and we just can't quite make it happen. And honestly, the biggest one is sin, right? Like we can become stuck in sin. And I'm like, like rooted in it and you just can't quite extract yourself. And, and sometimes we don't even notice it or we try to pretend it isn't there, right? My, my daughter does that when she gets upset about something. She'll, um, you know, you'll tell her, hey, you need to do this. And she'll say no. And she'll cross her arms and she'll turn away. As though crossing her arms and turning away makes it so I'm suddenly not there. And I'll say, you know what, you're going to go to your room now and you're going to stay there until you're ready to do what I ask. And she will know and tuck her head down as though that made me go away and it changed the reality of her situation. Generally, it does change the reality of her situation, but not in ways she wants. Um, But there are folks, we do this with God sometimes, where we get stuck in sin, and sin is anything that takes God's place, right? When something becomes more important than God, or we start violating his law, or we pick out something else that's going to be God, and you know, you'll know it when you see it because it's what you spend all your time on or what it becomes your, the focus of your heart or it becomes something that just eclipses him, right? There was eclipses recently where, like, the light just got blocked out, you know, and you'll know it. Um, but in those moments that we're stuck, sometimes we need a breaking away. Um, we're going to be looking at the end of John. We're right last chapter. Um, I'm not sure if we're going to do it in two sermons. We probably are. Um, but as we kind of dive into it, um, this is about a week after the, the resurrection. Like at this point in the story, last week was Easter. The Friday before was Good Friday. Jesus had been arrested, crucified, put in the ground, and rose again on the third day. Got it? Um, and along the way, at the Last Supper, he, he reminded them, hey, guys, this is coming. And Peter says, you know what? I would die for you. And he spoke in big, resounding tones. He bragged about how well he would do and how he would be the one who would face anything. And, and in the end, like when he was faced with the moment, what did he do? He drew a sword, right? And he tried to fight. Um, and then he ran away. And actually, not only did he run, run away, like he made it into the trial, and he lied to people about knowing Jesus repeatedly, even though he said, like, never do it. It's never going to happen. I love you so much. There's nothing that will ever go wrong with that. Like, I will do anything for you. Um, like, Peter has screwed up as big as he's going to get. And he's seen Jesus resurrected at this point, right? He's seen him twice, as a matter of fact. Um, and this is about a week later. Um, and, and actually, we're going to include a, one last bit of background. This is in the book of Luke. Um, I typically avoid doing this, like I've avoided doing this with John because, um, well, for a handful of reasons, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a little backstory. In the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he's teaching, and the crowds have gotten so big that he can't stand there on the shore of this lake anymore. They're like pushing in to hear him better, and they're kind of pushing him back. And so he calls over some fishing boats, and he gets into the fishing boats, and they pull off ashore, and he stands there on, on this fishing boat, and he talks to folks. And I'm, I've not been to the Sea of Galilee, but I'm assuming it's like most bodies of water where the ground sort of slopes up on the other side, right? And like so folks are sort of scattered around listening to him on the hill, and he's on, in this boat, and he's preaching. Um, and Luke 5, 4, when... 
And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. Um, And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and the nets were breaking. They signaled to the partners at the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, I am a sinful man, O Lord. Um, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, son of Zebedee, um, who were the partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And they... And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So now in the beginning of Peter's story, we see where they're on this boat. They throw the nets out. They pull in fish. Everybody is worried about getting the fish in the boat, and the boat starts sinking. And Peter sees this, and his immediate reaction isn't, hey, let's get the fish, right, because it's their well-being. Um, he turns around, and he's like, oh, my gosh, did this guy really just do this? And he falls down, and he's like, I'm a bad guy. You need to back up and get away from me because I can't be around someone as good as you. Like, I am rotten to the core. Like, like, like I don't belong in your presence. Um, and it's funny, actually, I, I get a kick out of it. I've been um, working for years and years and years, not, well, 15, 16 years. That's years and years, right? That's a long time. Um, it's felt like a long time. And I have so many people who will say, well, I'm in the building now and lightning hasn't struck yet. You know, and I always hear a little bit of Peter in that, right? Like, get away from me. I, you know, I, I shouldn't be here because I'm not good. And in reality, um, I think part of the reason that Peter got pulled into Jesus' orbit, called into the, into the fold, is because he, you know, this attitude of like, like this humility, right? I mean, that's what that is. It's humility. It's really hard to find folks who will admit, I'm not good, right? Um, mostly you have to ask their wives and they'll say, anyway, um, so, um, so Peter, um, his initial calling, that's what it looked like. There a week later, Peter's, uh, after the crucifixion, this is about three years after, um, Jesus um, shows up. Um, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he reveals himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat. Um, but that night they caught nothing. So typically what you would do is you would go out and you would fish um, before morning, right? And like about dawn, you would call it a day because, you know, like when it was dark, the fish were eating or something. I don't know. I just know that it was typical in that era, like you would fish in the morning. Um, and you would have two boats, right, which they mentioned in the Luke verse. You would have two boats and you would have two sets of nets, right? You would have one set of nets that you would use to catch schools of fish between so they couldn't get away. And then you would drop your big net on top of them and scoop them up. And, and that's how you would catch. And you would have one guy whose job it was to swim back and forth between the boats and check the nets to see if there were fish in them. And that's what Peter was doing, um, just as an FYI. So they got two boats, they got seven guys, and they're fishing with nets. Um, just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. They're probably about 100 yards out. It's a ways to know somebody, right? 
Um, Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Have we heard this story before? Ooh. And actually, we got um, at least three guys who were there the first time around. You got Peter, right, who's the prominent one. You got James and John, who are also there. John is writing the book. Um, for whatever reason, he didn't include this, the calling of Peter in the beginning. Um, but so, like, they, they haul it in. John immediately, like, they're, they're pulling these fish in. Um, it's so big that they can't do it. And actually what they end up doing is rowing to shore with the fish in the net, dragging them along because they can't get the fish in the boat, right? The first time around they started to sink. This time around they just can't even get them in. Um, That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. John, right, this is John, who was there the first time, is like, hey, I've seen this. He says, it's Jesus. It's Jesus on the shore, right? Um, and they act exactly the same way that they did last time, right? John stays in the boat and pulls the fish in, um, deals with the, the, the current situation. John is the one who's observant, right? And actually we see them together over and over and over again in the gospel. Peter and John are almost in contrast. Um, we'll probably come back to that next week um, if we do this in two parts. Um, so John says, hey, Peter, it's Jesus. When Jesus heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, only about a 100 yards off. So Peter sees him, realizes it's Jesus, says, oh, yeah, hey, we did this miracle once. Um, and all right, so... What exactly is happening with his getting dressed is not certain. Um, because he's swimming, it may have been that he was in his, in his um, shorts and, and that he put on his cloak so that he wasn't, you know, out on the shore talking to God in his underwear. Um, that, that's a distinct possibility. Um, the way the Greek is phrased, it's probably the case that he's wearing a, 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 like a, a gown kind of outfit and that he's not wearing a whole lot underneath it and that he actually just ties it up and dives in so that it's not this big flowing thing sinking him while he's trying to swim. Not clear, doesn't matter, just FYI, because I read a lot about it and I figured I should mention it since I used so much time reading about it. I don't, anyway. Um, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire um, in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Now, anybody who was here maybe on Good Friday, have you heard the mention of a charcoal fire in, in that context? Um, John uses the word charcoal fire twice, right, in his gospel. The first time he uses it is at the trial of Jesus. And they're in the courtyard outside, and Jesus is being tried inside, right? And um, Peter comes in, and he's standing in the courtyard, and he warms himself at this charcoal fire with all of these Roman, or with all these temple authorities and everything. And he's standing at a charcoal fire, right? Um, and so, like, Peter finds himself where he's been before, and there's fish already there. And Jesus is, like, preparing the food, and he says, hey, bring in some of the fish that you've caught. That can look like a flyover verse. He actually says to Peter, hey, Peter, go get the fish, right? And Peter, having acted the way he did the first time he saw Jesus, right? The first time he saw Jesus, everybody else is dealing with a fish. He turns around and he says, oh, wow, back up. <laughs> you know, don't even look at me. 
kind of thing. And so Peter, like, like same thing. He says, oh, my gosh, Jesus is there. He jumps in and swims to shore, forgets about what he's doing at the moment, and, like, sort of, he's a ready, fire, aim guy, right? Um, he dives and he swims to shore, and Jesus says, hey, go get the fish. You know, <laughs> go, go help. And so, so Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore um, full of fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Um, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And we're going to hit pause here. Um, Peter's a big guy, just kind of as an FYI, because they're having trouble with it. Peter gets in, and what does he do? He just hauls the net in, right? Like, he's, he's probably the biggest guy on the team, um, and he's loud, so a big, loud guy. Um, they caught 153 fish. There's some question as to why this is mentioned. Lots of people have guessed. They've taken the numbers and broken them down and done math and said, oh, this is what it's about. I have no idea, right? Like, it's probably just that they caught a whole lot of fish. Um, so they pulled the net in, um, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dare ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Like, so they're not gonna, they're a little embarrassed, Right. And it's, you know, what do we say? You know, do we, what do we say to them? You know, they're sitting around, they're eating breakfast and they're sort of in a moment of um, almost shock because Jesus is there. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, by the way, still God um, in his glory resurrected from the dead and he's still feeding the people around him. He's still serving the people around him um, very much the way he is. Um, this was now the third time that Jesus had revealed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Um, 15. Now, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, watch this. Simon, son of John, he doesn't call him Peter. Um, Peter means the rock, right? And, and like he would refer to him as that because he was, he was solid. He was probably a big guy. He was loud. He was... He was like like solid in his convictions and instead he calls him simon <laughs> refers to him by the name he had before he followed jesus um and it's it's probably a little bit like probably chafes him a little does that make sense um peter is very aware that he is screwed up right um we see peter in the beginning who's humble who's aware that he's a broken man, who's aware that he's a sinful man. And then we see Peter full of like, um, full of vinegar, right? Full of energy, full of, of bragging even, right? You know, I am the best of the disciples. I'm the one who will die with you. I'm the one who will do this. I'm the one who will do that. And now here he is having fallen on his face. And um, when they finish breakfast, you know, Jesus asks him, Don't even call him by the name he gave him, not even by his nickname. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, what's he saying more than these? Some people have guessed that he's saying, well, more than the fishing equipment. You know, like, hey, do you love me more than you love the life you had? I don't think it's that. Um, I think actually what he's saying is, like, this is fairly public. The, The disciples are watching. And he says, hey, do you love me more than these other guys love me? Right? Um, because Peter was the guy who was bragging about it before. Right. And now that he's on the other side of having bragged about it and screwed up pretty royally, Jesus asked him, do you love me? Agapos, right, is the word he uses. And um, Peter responds. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. The word that Peter uses isn't agapos, right? Agapos is like selfless, like the biggest kind of love you can use. The word that Peter uses is a little more like, yes, I am strongly affectionate toward you. 
Um, a lot has been made of that. I'm, I'm going to offer a suggestion. Peter doesn't speak as big as he did before, right? Peter's been cut down to size a little bit. He ain't bragging quite as much. Um, and he responds, yes, you know that I love you. You know that I love you, like, a lot. But he doesn't mirror Jesus' thing. He's not bragging anymore. He's aware that he's screwed up. And that's, man, I guess it's got to be a rotten place to find yourself standing in front of a man who is your best friend, a man who you would do anything for, having cussed out a little girl swearing you didn't know her, know him, right? Like having stood in this place where you failed that big. Um, and it's, it's a place most of us like should find ourselves occasionally. Most of us should, actually all of us, should find ourselves in front of Jesus occasionally saying, you know what, I love you, but I screwed up, right? Um, anybody who's got close relationships will find them in this, themselves in this spot where they turn to their loved ones and they say, I love you, you know, knowing that they screwed up and that, like, it's a saying that they're, they're putting out there that, that sounds a little weak in front of what they're, what they're doing. Does that make sense? Have you all ever experienced this? I love you, but, man, I do screw up, right? Um, and Jesus responded to him, feed my lambs. Now, what's up with that? Well, when Peter was swearing all of this love and this passion and this, like, I love you so much. I would die for you. I would do this. And he's willing to pick up a sword and fight and everything else. Peter had this idea of grand accomplishments, right? This, I'm going to go out and change the world for you. And what Jesus wants, he says, listen, if you really love me, take care of the people who are mine. Take care of my people. Serve each other. Love each other. Do this. You want to show you love me. This is what I want. Um, I had a good friend uh, named Rusty in Indiana, um, who was like ran a radio station for a while, a Christian radio station, and he uh, he he got to meet Rich Mullins. Do you guys know who Rich Mullins is? He's a musician. Um, he wrote uh, "Our God Is an Awesome God." He wrote actually quite a few huge songs. And and Rich Mullins was at this concert, and he's you know like the the radio station put it on, I guess, and he's there. And this teenage girl comes up and talks to Rich Mullins, and she says. I want to be. I want to do what you do. I want to. I want to bring glory to God through music. How do I do what you do? And he says, "Oh, well, you know, take your take your guitar and go to the nursing home and play for the play for the residents." She says, "No, I want to do what you do. Like, I, I want to bring glory to God through music. How do I do what you do?" And he says, "Oh, well, I told you, go to the nursing home and play for the residents." He says, "But but I but not that. I want to do what you do." Like, well, but there are people in nursing homes in your town, right? Like, they want to hear music praising God. Why don't you go do that? So, but that's not what I want. Like, it's a little like what Peter's doing here. He's saying, listen, I want this big thing. I want to do this stuff. And what God is saying to him is, look, take care of my people. That's what matters to me. And we sometimes get locked into this idea, you know, if I'm not doing big things, if I'm not perfect, if I'm not, you know, standing on the mountaintop, like screaming it out, I'm not doing enough. Um, and in the end, what God calls us to do is to serve. Um, Jesus demonstrated it to him when he dressed like a slave and, and humiliated himself watching, washing his disciples' feet. He says, listen, just take care of my people. You want to love me, love them. Um, I'm, no, I'm never more aware of how much people care for me than when they take care of my kids or when they um, like love my wife. Um, because these people, like, you can do nice things for me, that's all right. Like, but doing nice things for them means more to me than things happening for me. Does that make sense? I'm guessing that most of y'all are in the same spot. Um, 
Michael said that to me a little while ago. I'm going to pick on you, Michael. Nothing means more to me than seeing people treat the residents at the nursing home well, or at the men's home well. When people do right by them, I feel better, right? Because you love somebody, you want to see them served. And so Jesus says, hey, feed my lambs. Um, He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, still using the softer form of love. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said it to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Why do you ask him three times? Well, Peter denied him three times time standing next to a charcoal fire by the way um and so we see like like jesus sets this up perfect right he calls him back just like the first time he called him nothing changed right peter was forgiven before he even finished saying it jesus never loved him any less it never changed how jesus loved him it never altered like like peter's failure was something jesus knew was coming and just like the day he called him Peter, now humble again, is there next to the fire, right, with this charcoal fire right in front of him, reminded, hey, I'm flawed. Hey, I failed Jesus. Hey, I screwed up as big as I possibly could. Um, Peter sits there and, and is asked three times, and Jesus tells him directly, this is what you need to do. Go take care of my people. Sorry, guys, I'm kind of... Scratchy. Um, truly, truly, I say to you, whenever you see a reper- repeated word in, he, in, in like, like um, Aramaic, he would have been speaking Aramaic, the repetition is like a strong emphatic. So truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this is said to show the kind of death that he the kind of death he was to glorify God. Um, And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Um, So watch this. Peter swore big action. And Jesus said, what I want is little action, right? And he says to him, but don't worry, the day is coming, right? And eventually, this is written probably in about 90 AD, in about, in the mid 50s, I think, no, mid-60s, excuse me, mid-60s AD, Peter was crucified. He was in jail. They tied his hands up. They brought him out, and they crucified him. Um, and he did it swearing that all of this stuff happened and swearing that Jesus rose from the dead and swearing that, um, the, that this is salvation. Um, and so, like, what Jesus gives him in the end, he says, listen, this is how you need to love me. You need to love me every day this way. Um, and in the end, don't worry, you'll get your big moment, right? It'll happen. Um, but you need to love me this way now. You need to take care of my people. Um, what are we to do with this? Um, well, there are a couple things. Um, first off, when we find ourselves in sin, right, or when we find ourselves stuck, when we find ourselves hanging there, right, like Peter is hanging there. Peter is in a spot where he has screwed up, and Jesus is back, and nothing has been said about it, Right? And so he's got this thing in the room, the elephant, right? And Jesus puts it right in front of him. And basically he puts it in front of him in a way that says, you know what? Um, You're still mine. And you didn't change things. This is it. You're still mine. Um, When we are in that spot, there are like a handful of ways that we can act. We can say, because I failed, 
um, because I failed Jesus, because I failed myself, I need to work ten times harder next time, right? And there are people who do that, and like, and they screw up, and on the other side of screwing up, they swear to high heavens that like next time will be different, and I will try even harder. Um, and that's not what Jesus wanted from him, is it? He didn't say next time you'll actually be killed, right? No, he said next time just do what I'm asking you to do. Next time, love me every day in the little things you do, constantly acting out that love. And ultimately, honestly, I think doing the little things along the way prepared him for the big thing, right? Um, by the way, you'll see that in, in all sorts of areas of life. I, I, uh, um, in your relationships with your spouse, with your family, with the people around you, like, like you love them in the little things and you lean on Jesus in everything and in the long run it makes you somebody different. Spiritually it changes you. Um, another way we can come at it is we can like have despair, right? There are folks I know who will like fall into a pit of despair after they spiritually fail or they fall into sin or they do something awful and they hang there and they're just like, oh, I'm the worst person ever. God doesn't even love me anymore and they, they will like, like live that way and sometimes even just back up and hide from God and say, oh, I'm just going to hide. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit out here and I'm going to pretend you can't see me, just like little Abby, right? Um, and they'll stay there and just sit in the dark. Um, <laughs> there was a period of my life where I would go out and I would sit in the garage every night. You know, I would sit out there for hours. And I, I, in my mind, I think there was a part of me that thought, nobody can see me if I'm out here. You know, it doesn't matter how bad I'm screwing up. I'll just be out here. I'll, I'll listen to the radio. I'll, I'll, you know, smoke cigarettes. I'll, I'll hide here, and this is what I'll do. And ultimately, like, God saw me the whole time, right? He was waiting on shore for me to come back, and that's all there was to it. But in my despair, I didn't believe it was true. And honestly, it begins with acknowledging the reality of it, Right? It begins with acknowledging the reality that we sin, that we fail, that we get stuck, that people around us are sometimes broken and that we need to lean on Jesus to deal with them. It begins with saying it out loud and saying, you know what? I failed. I'm sorry, Jesus. Like, I'm sorry. Um, And there's restoration. Um, Finally, like the the third option I'm going to toss out to you is John 16, 22. You can read it at home on your own. Jesus talks about like this this rejoicing that comes with a heart set free, right? When we sin and we fail, we repent, and then we rejoice that we're forgiven, right? We rejoice that, like, even though I am the worst of sinners, and you ask around, it's true, um, I'm still forgiven. I can still find Jesus on the shore with a charcoal fire and everything else. It's still there. I cannot screw up enough to, like, out-screw up God's love. I can hide from it and refuse to accept it, right? And there are people who live their lives every day hiding in the dark, pretending that God doesn't see them worshiping something that isn't him. Every day is despairing, all because they don't trust the rope enough to believe that it'll catch them, right? Jesus' forgiveness, Jesus' grace, God's love for me is enough to catch me no matter what. Um, It's a hard thing to do. I suspect that Peter sitting there when Jesus asked him over and over again three times, the first thing he thought is, man, here I am. It's right there. It's out there, like in front of everybody, right? Jesus asked him, do you love me? And he has to say in a smaller version because he can't brag because the guys around him know, right? 
We're going to close with a song. We're going to repeat a song. Can I call you guys up? I'm sorry, guys. I know we're a little long, but I, I uh, praying about it this morning is how I felt like we should end. Um, as you're sitting here, as you're listening, as you're hearing what we're talking about, um, if you find yourself in that spot, right? If you find yourself sitting there with this, like, elephant that you carry around with you everywhere and the weight of it's hurting you, right? And you don't trust that rope enough. Like, my challenge to you this morning is to, is to come to God and to pray and to say, look, you know what? This is something that's wrong. This is something I'm doing that's rebelling. This is something I'm doing that is about me not loving you. Or if you haven't figured out how to love Jesus in these little ways by loving the folks around you, and this is something you need to do, um, we're going to do a song. And actually, we don't hardly ever do this here, but um, I want to encourage you to come on up and pray. Um, you know, it doesn't matter that the people saw Peter um, humiliated, does it? Because he was right with Jesus. Peter didn't care that he had to, had to swim to shore, you know, and leave behind everything to get back to him. Um, he did it um, because it was more important than anything. Um, my encouragement for you this morning is being close with Jesus is more important than anything, more important than the things that you're worshiping that aren't him, more important than the things that chew up your time and your money and your everything that aren't Jesus, more important than you know, the stuff you look at and you say, I want that so bad, and it's still not Jesus. It can always be the way it was like when it started. You know, that miraculous catch, and it began with Peter saying, I'm sinful. And it can continue that way this morning. And so as we're doing the last song, um, we'll just close with prayer after that. But my encouragement for you is come on forward and pray. Um, just, Just talk to Jesus this morning.